We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing college esports. Just a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. It's all of the information for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Sari. She's Director of Esports and Project Development at Full Sail University. She's also the owner of a Greater Orlando XP League and the Chair of the Board of the National Association of Collegiate Esports. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. So to start, introduce yourself. You know, tell us about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played? Sure. Um, well, I'm Sari Kaitlin. I'm uh, with Full Sail University, which is a uh, university in Orlando, Florida, that focuses on degree programs for entertainment, media, arts, and technology. Um, essentially, all of our degree programs feed their way into the entertainment industry. Um, I've been with Full Sail for over 17 years, um, so quite a long time. And honestly, that's probably been my biggest professional immersive experience within the gaming space. Um, you know, with so many of all of our degree programs leading into the entertainment industry, and we have five, six now degree programs that specifically go to the gaming industry. We've been, you know, kind of around the gaming community um, in various forms for so long. And so projects that I had worked on in various forms had really led up to that point. Um, while always have played games, have never been a competitive gamer myself. Um, nobody would want me to be a competitive gamer. I can <laughs> promise you that. I still lose to my nine-year-old on a regular basis in pretty much everything but Rocket League, I will say that. Uh, okay. But, you know. That's a hard one, so that's impressive. Uh, yeah, I I had to pick one lane and stick to it if I was really going to try to take him down. I got to keep him, got to keep him honest, you know, and I can't just have him winning all the time. Um <laughs> And so, yeah, for us at Full Sail, it, that's just kind of what our community and our culture was. And so my whole function at Full Sail for the beginning part of my career there was essentially building the organization's new brand initiatives and affiliations and extensions. Um, I guess I would always say if there was something that Full Sail wanted to do, but they didn't have any strategy or direction or resources or knowledge of how it's done, it would come to me as a project to kind of figure everything out, build it up, hire a team, and send the initiative on its way. Um, and starting in about 2015 or so, that was esports. Um, we'd really just started seeing a lot of it around campus. Uh, our students were competing against other colleges on their own in lobbies of buildings, and there were hacked together land centers. And at that point, we just wanted to really look and see 
what is this and is there more to it? And so I kind of started in esports in about 2015, just really diving in and trying to figure out everything there was to figure out about esports and the collegiate scene, um, learning what I could learn. And quickly you realize that there, there was, st there's still a lot to do. So you could learn everything that there is to learn out there quickly. Um, and at that point, you realize that the industry is really taking shape right now. And it's being formed by a lot of endemic folks in the scene. And the opportunity to be a part of creating an industry is not something that comes up across very often. And at that point, I knew this is where I really wanted to be, to be able to try to make lasting impact um, on an industry that was really coming into its own and putting some formality behind what the grassroots and community had already done. And to be able to kind of respect everything that had existed up to this point, and also bring some structure to the space was something that was really uh, interesting and enticing to me. And so I just stayed. And so from there, um, we built the Fortress, which is our on-campus esports arena. We built obviously Full Sail Armada, which is our um, community itself. We have varsity divisions. We have community divisions that a couple thousand students um, located and, and uh, associated with both. Um, and we have a primary focus on just kind of career uh, for those that really want to work in this space or something similar after graduation. Um, again, with entertainment industry being what so many of our things are focused on, we had grads working in this space from all sorts of programs, specifically show production and touring, um, putting together those large events. And so for us, we really knew we wanted to set forth and build a program that gave them an incredible experience while they were here that really focused on giving them the skills that they needed to find a career in something that they loved after they graduated. Amazing. Well, it definitely sounds like, you know, Full Sail really took it to heart. So was there anything beyond just the students enjoying it? Was there, you know, as you said, you guys were really involved in the entertainment world. Did you see this as kind of the next evolution of entertainment or, you know, why did Full Sail kind of go as deep as you said, have this beautiful arena, have this program? Sure. Um, I mean, I will say we've definitely followed our students here. Um, they were kind of leading the charge in this. We had graduates that were already working in esports as far back as 2013. Um, and for us, you know, the way the full sale model is a, a very specific kind of student comes to full sale. It is not the school for everybody. And those that come, it's almost like a, a really close network and connection of kids that are really together. Uh, something I find fascinating is that almost 100% of students that come to Full Sail know exactly what they want to do when they step foot at on campus. And what, that is crazy to me. I changed my major 150 times. Um, this was not would not have been able to be the place for me. But if it's the place for you, it's a pretty fantastic place. And they kind of find each other. And so the students were really finding this niche of where these entertainment fields and these entertainment jobs we're going and esports really happened to be one of them. Um, and as far as kind of focusing on how we're going to build and what we're going to build, the fortress was such an important part of it because for us, the fortress is a classroom. Um, there are final projects and presentations done by our show production and touring folks, by our uh, sports casting degree folks, um, even graphic design folks use it to just understand how to use that space. Our students need to graduate knowing how to work in a space that's indicative of what you see in the industry. And how are they going to do that without actually having the ability to work on those projects? So we get to have events and things that kind of come through and come in. And with those events, 
our students are able to work on client events, things with Red Bull or MBA 2K. Um, they're able to get real world experience on an actual event with a client in the space that would be indicative of what they'll see when they graduate. That's amazing. How valuable do you find it? You know, these real practical experiences. It's um, it definitely sets them apart. Um, it's what kids are learning at Full Sail requires hands-on. Um, and the the thing we talk about too, like with our, our education model, it's an accelerated curriculum. So students are in a class for a month um, straight and they'll do that class full-time. Sometimes they'll take two at a time. And the reason for that is so they can get that hands-on experience, you know? So if we have the best console that you've ever seen operating front of house for a huge esports arena, and you have a class of 150 students and you get to have 10 minutes on that console once a week in class for a semester, you're not really going to know how to use that console. But if we take smaller cohorts, have a class rotating more regularly, and you use that console every day, then by the time you finish that class, you've had a full, you know, immersive, in-depth experience of actually utilizing the same console that you'll see when you go into the industry. Amazing. I mean, I think it's it's crucial, especially as you're learning these you know, skills that are not just what you can read in a book. Like, yeah, you can read how to program audio levels and decibels and all that. But until you're actually doing it on a live performance and dealing with lighting and staging, like it's, you can't really compare it. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the courses that Full Sail offers and maybe some that, you know, you think might be valuable to students that aren't? Um, so for us, I think that you know, you'll see, you see a lot of universities that are really building uh, education programs that are focused on esports um, to help kind of prepare students for that industry. And while we do have a degree program that is focused on esports, specifically our game business and esports degree program, what we've seen because of the way that we're structured and because of what we offer is that a lot of our degree programs existing are already feeding into esports. Uh, so, for example, um, our business degree program is an entertainment business degree program. We also have a music business degree program and a game business and esports degree program. And the entertainment business degree program, they started seeing about a third of students' capstone projects were esports based. Uh, and this is the entertainment industry and they could do kind of however they needed to do. And what that really did was lead us to create the game business and esports program to know that that seemed to be what a lot of our students were really looking to know to do. Um, but in the flip side of that, our graphic design degree program, for example, will learn how to create graphics for in arena graphics, for LED display, for environmental, um, you know, sponsorship support. That's something that they're going to learn how to do, which will help make them available to be a graphic designer for things like esports events or esports activations. Um, and so courses that we have are really more focused on the skill that they have because the students that are coming here are already looking into this industry to work in. We don't have nursing. We don't have, you know, your general finance degree programs. We only offer degree programs that support this space. So we are not necessarily trying to pull folks in that are interested in going into these spaces. They're already going into these spaces. So our job is to create the, the, the really distinct and the really robust um, skill development in these education offerings that will make them the best at the space that they want to go into. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because you see the difference between 
yeah, you're going to college because you're trying to figure a career path or it's like, I'm going to do this. So now I need certain skills to be able to do it better and more efficiently. And maybe I need the credentials to say, okay, well, I am an audio engineer and graphic designer and I've used all these programs and here are the events I've done it for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. And and we see things like, um, you know, we Red Bull's come in and done a couple of events with us and w- students will be able to shadow Red Bull production on every position. So they're running jib, uh, film students are running jib or handheld cam op. And to be a handheld cam op in an esports competitive event is a very special skill. You know how busy that is. You know what the dynamic that provides for content. And to be able to be 20 years old, 21 years old, have a full bachelor's degree and say, yes, I was a handheld cam op for Red Bull conquest. Um, and this was awesome. And here's what I've done. And here's the position that I shadowed puts them at a place of yes, a more, more attractive, I guess, for job opportunities, but also more comfortable for them. Um, it helps erase a little bit of the, um, I guess the insecurity or the imposter syndrome by saying it's not the feeling of, can you do it? Because we make sure you've done it prior to you ever graduating. So that that helps a little bit in the reassurance and the preparation when they're putting themselves out there after they graduate. Right. I think that's important. It's like, you know, you don't know until you do. And until you mm-hmm. do one or two or three, like you're not really able to master it or feel confident. And even at that point, you're not. But until you do that first one, you're not really going to know. Right. Mm-hmm. So how are high school students being steered towards collegiate opportunities, maybe former pros are going into it. You know, how does that all work? Um, it's interesting. Um, it's actually been one of the coolest things I think to watch is the development of a lot of these um, high school programs, K through 12 spaces, especially when at the state level, there's a lot of states that are sort of coming together and just really embracing it um, or, or big major counties. Like I know the Minneapolis public school system has just kind of embraced. We want to roll this out, you know, wholeheartedly throughout our entire space. Um, And what I really have loved to see as far as the evolution goes is we did see for quite a while, and we're still seeing it, obviously, but um, having students that have graduated high school already with esports experience and being able to be coached is was was a game changer for those of us that are in the collegiate space, because nine times out of 10 prior to 2020, really um, 2019, the students that you were getting, you're finding the best possible players that you can find, but they don't necessarily have experience being coached before or playing as part of a team. Um, And so you almost had double the legwork to do. And as they're getting prepared, but since the evolution of a lot of these high school spaces, the students are coming in prepared. A lot of them started um, club programs at their high schools or started their high school's esports programs, which means they're coming in with leadership, understanding, and knowledge. They've been coached now in esports, which is phenomenal. But the coolest evolution to me is these schools are now broadcasting, they're streaming, they're running production. And so there's a full avenue, a full robust avenue of students that are coming out of high school that are not just here to compete. Yes, so many of them that are here to compete, which is amazing, but more that are here to facilitate the entire competitive landscape that is esports. And the the really phenomenal high school programs and districts, uh, school districts that are really adopting this are approaching it at this full, well-rounded avenue of saying, we don't just need you know, our computer science teacher and an hour after school, it's so much more than that. Um, And seeing that evolve has 
made the students that are kind of coming into collegiate so much higher caliber in the talent that they're doing, which has made collegiate broadcasts a higher caliber. Collegiate shoutcasters are professional shoutcasters at this point. Um, and just the production aspect of what these the college land events and college events in general are really now put on with you know, kids 18, 19, 20, but have experience and they've done this before. And that's what's really phenomenal because at, at the collegiate level, then you're refining their skills, you're elevating them, you're not teaching them from the beginning. And that's really been the coolest transition, I think, that I've seen. Amazing. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a lot of programs and the Garden State esports here in Jersey yeah. where I am. And you're like you said, you're building these skills as interest. And if you already started at your school because you had such a huge interest in making the club, it's like, yeah, you want to continue on this. You've kind of already shown that this is something that you care about enough to commit yourself to. Yeah, for sure. So in addition to working at Full Sail, you're also involved with NACE. So tell us a little about the organization and what your role is there. Sure. Um, I joined NACE, uh, Full Sail joined NACE um, back in 2017 or 2018. I can't totally remember. Um, quite honestly, looking for a place that could help us put some infrastructure to what we saw happening. Um, there was a lot we knew, but then a lot we didn't. Uh, a prime example is you know, esports is our only athletic at, at all. That's what we have. So I used to say it was our first one until I realized, let's be real, we're not going to have a lacrosse team. No football team coming. coming. No. Um, so we don't have a department of athletics. We don't have a student athlete handbook. We don't have a director of athletics. We don't have any basis for varsity style extracurricular activities for students. Um, and that was really where we were struggling. We had the, the gaming knowledge. We didn't have the esports, you know, infrastructure and, and competitive knowledge. And so joining NACE helped us find that, yes, both through NACE, but also through all of the programs that were within NACE. Um, every program is different. Every program has its own uh, way that they kind of approach esports. And what I love so much and continue to love so much about NACE is that all different programs are represented. There is no um, template. There's no model that this is how you build a good collegiate esports program. Every program is different. And it. I will say it took me, been a part of NACE for a long time, it took me a very long time to feel comfortable speaking up at all in any of the meetings or in any of the conversations. I always just kind of felt maybe like this this wasn't supposed to be me. I didn't necessarily look like everybody else that was in esports up to that point. Um, and it took me a while to sort of feel comfortable. And I was pushed actually by uh, now a good friend of mine, AJ, who was working with NACE at the time, who said, hey, you, you really need to start doing some panels. Like it's time. And I said, no, I'm pretty sure Bennett is the best person to do these things. Um, love Bennett. And she's like, yeah, and Bennett is wonderful. And you really need to start doing it. And she kind of made me realize that until we start showing people that there are different types of folks and different voices within esports, there's not ever going to be. And I realized that if I'm feeling intimidated, or if I'm feeling like this isn't a space to speak up, that imagine how many other people are feeling that way. I'm a lot older than most folks in the space. And I kind of just realized that unless we, unless I get comfortable putting myself out there, how am I going to make a space that's comfortable for other people to be in? So 2022, I think, yeah, I 
was nominated to sit on the board um, for NACE and I accepted the nomination and was elected to the board. And that was my first time I really got heavily involved in what we were doing. And so I sat through that for about a year, um, learned a lot about what being on the board was, what it entailed, what our jobs and focus was really to be. And really honestly, stepping back and seeing that we're at a pivotal moment, I think, within the collegiate space, and we all really identified it um, close to, you know, within the last two years of the way the pro space was evolving and the collegiate space was evolving. We were really primed to be a real focused lead in the esports space as a whole, and we really wanted to make sure that we could do that. And so in that regards, I felt like my background and my skill set could help NACE and the collegiate space as a whole get there. Um, and so in the most recent convention in 2023, it was time to elect a new board chair. Uh, Joey Greziak was on his way out. Um, his term had ended and they were nominating a new board chair. Uh, I was nominated to be the chair of the board and accepted. And it has been quite a wild ride up to this point. Um, I will say I'm proud to be the first woman that served as chair um, in the organization. Cheers. women that kind of came before me and to kind of show a different face. Um, and what I love so much about the board that we have this year is it is so unbelievably diverse in regards to school representation. Um, we have uh, Sean Burney, who's with St. Clair College in Canada, which is one of my absolute favorite these collegiate esports programs of all time. They have done such a phenomenal job with infrastructure over there, and it's really impressive. Um, but he represents, obviously, the entire Canadian landscape, also a business mind when it comes to esports programs. We have D1 schools represented. We have Chris Bilski at Michigan State. We have Travis Yang at Wichita State representing the D1 conversation. We have uh, Tiffany Ford, Dr. Ford at Ozark Technical College, who's part of the National Junior College Athletics Association, who represents um, junior colleges and community colleges and having different campuses that you're kind of trying to manage as one. Um, we have Eugene Fryer with Texas Westland, which has about 3,000 students. Same with Karen Ruggles at DeSales, also about 3,000 students. While Michigan State's got over 50,000 students. Um, we have Maryville, who's obviously incredibly competitive, Dan Clerkey, who's one of the founding fathers of everything that collegiate esports has to offer, um, is able to really help shape everything from a competitive perspective, because there are students that are coming in that are looking for a path to pro and collegiate has the ability to provide that if taking the competitive approach and he's really able to, to shine those that light there. Um, we've got D2 schools, we've got D3 schools, we've got NAIA schools. And so to be able to have so many different types of schools working together to build policy and to build legislation and to navigate infrastructure, I think is helping make a robust and fully developed, fully developed and fully evolved collegiate landscape. I mean, so what are some of the benefits of NACE? Is it, is it trying to be similar to like the NCA and kind of govern over esports or is it just kind of being toward an operator running different events? Like, where does it kind of fit or is it all of it? You know, it's not as much in the governing body mindset, which I think a lot of people focus on that. 
we can't have a governing body with collegiate esports for a multitude of reasons, but everything from, you know, intellectual property and who owns it and how those regulations are run and the stipulations that are required from publishers, but even fully formed in so many different ways. We haven't, we're not at the point where NACE or anybody can be the governing body of collegiate esports. What NACE is really focused on doing, um, and this is my words, not necessarily theirs, but the way I see it is they're focused on elevating the validity of what collegiate esports is. And I think they've done such a fantastic job with that by building infrastructure, building legislation, um, giving membership a voice. So it's a member led organization. It's not a governing body. So all the staff that works for it essentially is there to, to work for and support the members. So it's the reason why it's been able to have so much um, build and structure is because you hear from everybody in there like, hey, this isn't working for me because we cannot play on Tuesdays or we need weekends or I don't have a space that's big enough. I can't play on campus. I need some other options. And to be able to have a really amazing team at the top that's just kind of taking in the feedback and the understanding and the voices from the 750 plus collegiate programs that exist is helping us all kind of grow together. So NACE's focus is on really pioneering through the collegiate space to increase validity in the space so that all the schools associated can receive bigger budgets, scholarships for students. Their administration is really understanding what this is happening. So the, the competition that NACE facilitates and the support that NACE offers is all in providing maybe what D1 schools might be seeing from their traditional athletics so that they can get their budgeting that way, but how smaller schools are seeing from maybe their IT departments and they're getting their budgeting that way. It supports every avenue and listens to the people that need it, that need support and kind of facilitates competition, structure, legislation that helps elevate everybody in the space altogether. Amazing. So what's some of the future stuff that NACE is working on? Um, Two things I'm pretty excited about right now uh, is NACE is uh, the first to launch D1 supported programs. So it allows a lot of these division one schools that have a longstanding, um, you know, history with other teams or storytelling within their divisions. Um, obviously, Full Sail doesn't have that, but, you know, things like SEC or ACC, they've got a longstanding rivalry and they've got longstanding storytelling. And that's what is helpful and needed for those to continue to get the, the funding that they need from their stories. And so finding a way to both take the D1 programs and give them the storylines that they need, but also not taking away from schools like Full Sail or St. Clair College, who we also get our budget and our funding when we can be the D1 school or when we can put a big name to us. Um, and I think they've really helped figure out a good way that allows both storytelling to help out for the schools that need it because it's a self-selection conference, but also giving fair and equal competitive opportunity for those that are kind of playing around it. And I think that's very exciting. Um, the other avenue that they've been working on that's launching in the spring is uh, the super conference. So essentially the top eight teams from each title from the season before are invited into the super conference. Um, it's an opportunity to compete in. Now you'll either do the super conference or D1. So for example, Boise State is one of the schools that was invited to the super conference, but they declined because they'd rather play with their 
um, D1 conference as their self-selection. But for us, Full Sail, we were able to get into the Super Conference for Super Smash Brothers, which means we get to compete at the like highest tier of competition and kind of elevated, even though we're a small school, um, we still get to compete against the top names and the top areas that are, are kind of within that. So I think it's interesting. I think it's neat. I also like that they're willing to try something and if it doesn't work, they're willing to re revamp it and redo it. Um, so those are two things that are launching here for spring that I'm really excited to see kind of how they turn out and what maybe we can learn from it or change for it in the future if we need to. Well, that sounds really interesting. I'll make sure to look for that. Definitely nice to kind of have the top competitive programs playing each other, even if they're not necessarily, you know, the same budgets or the same mm -hmm. enrollment. It's skill with skill. You want to play against the best. And I think that's what makes the best shout cat, you know, the best production, the best event really is when you're having the best people compete against each other, right? No one likes a blowout or, you know, a match that's done in a minute. You want mm -hmm. those intense ones. So. Yeah. Um, so also, you're also an owner of an XP League in the greater Orlando area. So what is XP League and you know, why are you running your own esports league? Um, sure. So XP League is a youth esports uh, organization, essentially the little league for esports. Uh, focuses on kids ages 8 to 17, competing across a multitude of titles uh, all across North America. So throughout the country and in Canada. Um, to me, in seeing the the beauty and the value in what esports can provide for so many kids, um, and having a child myself, I have a nine and three quarter year old. If I don't include that, I get in a lot almost of almost ten, right? Yeah, almost ten. Um, and the big thing for me is he plays a lot of sports. Uh, he's played baseball, he's played flag football, he's played basketball, he's played soccer. Um, and the reason why your kid plays sports for most of us is the learning how to get coached, learning how to bounce yeah, back. And have from friends and interactions have friends and socialize. And community and learning that if your friend messes up, it's okay. And you're all going to have a good time afterwards. And just kind of the idea of learning a, a skill and learning something new. Um, and what I noticed is, you know, just kind of sitting there at one of his little league games, uh, one of his friends who still friends to this day, I love him so much. Um, he's playing an outfield at the game and he is just staring at the sky and there are people hitting the ball right by him and he is not paying attention. And I hear the coach ask him, what are you doing out there? And he said, oh, I just wanted to see if I could see the International Space Station from here. And it's like, this kid clearly does not want to play baseball and he does not want to play Little League, but he deserves to get that same type of experience with his friends and the camaraderie and to have a thing to do on the weekends with your friends. Um, so they put him in baseball and he doesn't. What he loves is playing video games and to know that he can get the exact same experience that he wants to get from something he enjoys. And it's not the parents having to force him to baseball when he clearly doesn't want it. And instead he can do something that he enjoys, do something that he loves and still get that same level of experience is so important um, because then these kids hit middle school and then they hit high school. And a lot of them have their communities and have their teams and have their path for collegiate scholarships or collegiate interests. And those start to take shape and those start to form. And there's a whole segment of kids that might not get that from traditional sports, or that might and still also love gaming that I really think this avenue provides. And, you know, there's, there's kind of a, 
I guess, old school negative connotation about being behind a computer screen or playing from your parents' basement. And we obviously know that that isn't the case. But there is a comfort level in the computer screen that a lot of kids do need. There aren't a lot of kids that are just comfortable and confident walking out onto a field where they don't know anybody and meeting people for the first time. And instead of forcing kids out of their comfort zone, why not bring the opportunity to their comfort zone and then they can get out of it together? Um, And so knowing that that was so important and something that I found so valuable and we didn't have it here in Florida at all. Um, And especially not in central Florida, it was something that we really wanted to do. And so uh, my partner at work um, is also interested, also a parent, and we decided to kind of enter together and start the Orlando version of youth esports. And we'll be playing um, folks from again, all across North America with kids ages eight to 17. My kid is very excited to participate as is his old friend from Little League who will be joining us. So just um, in general, excited to kind of continue that path, I guess. Amazing. I mean, I definitely see recreation and youth. It's kind of like you said, the little league of esports. Like this is mm-hmm. the same stuff. You're going to be you and your five friends and we'll play NBA 2K the same way you and your five friends went to, you know, basketball together. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll do basketball, you know, in the afternoon and then at night when the sun goes down, you'll play 2K. We and you'll be able to have best of both worlds. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming space? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think my favorite part about it is being able to watch the evolution, both of the space and of the people in it in real time. Um, You know, at the beginning, and I know there's a lot of us that have felt this way, but it was it was years before I saw another woman in a meeting. It was years before I saw a woman in. Uh, any activations that I was working on, had any meetings with. Um, It was even longer before I saw people of color. And to see the transition and the evolution of those voices kind of coming out and being featured and prominent and getting the acknowledgement and recognition that they deserve is really phenomenal. Um, I do think that video games are like the ultimate unifier for everything that exists. And I think that because we have a space that's being built right now, we have the ability to build it the right way. We have the ability to build it where marginalized representation is amplified and it is supported and those voices are echoed. And if we don't like who's at the top or what those voices are, we have the ability to change it. And it's not easy, but if we do it together, we we can. And I think that's really what my favorite part about it is, is that we can just really kind of all look at each other and say, hey, there are not enough, there's not enough support for the transgender community throughout gaming and esports. And we've noticed that quite a few people out there that are really trying to draw a line between, um, you know, transgender women and cisgendered females. And we don't want that line divided. So we're not going to tolerate that anymore. And that's what I love so much about it is that it's not, this is how it's always been. That's not an answer in esports. There are people that try to give you that answer, but that's not an answer. Instead, it's a, hey, that shouldn't be this way. Let's work together and figure out how we can fix it. And that's, I think, what I love the most. Amazing. I think that's definitely one of the things is that everyone's very, you know, equal. And I think I always say that, you know, the game is the great equalizer. It's like, mm-hmm. and same thing is that the industry 
talking about gaming, video games, it's the great equalizer. It's not yeah. the the old boys club, as they say, or, you know, any of these other things. It's like, we all play video games. We're all, you know, it's an Xbox controller, it's a PlayStation controller. It's, it's still a video game. And, mm-hmm. you know, so what advice do you have for anyone trying to work in the esports space? Um, I think that the the biggest is listen to the world around you maybe listen more than you speak um or listen more than you tweet i had said that earlier today uh talking with <laughs> annabelle and i think that's important there's a lot of folks that think they know everything and they think that everybody that's not doing it the way that they think it should be done is doing it wrong and that's not it there are so many different ways to do it and there are so many different ways to find success and learn from others both good and bad but build your own path and create who you want to be and what you want to do. Um, you're not, we're not tied to 150 years of industry, you know, structure. We're going at this now. So understand where you want to go, understand where you want to be, listen to everybody around you, learn from everybody around you and figure out who you're going to be. I think that's such great advice. Everyone listen to this. Um, so what do you think the future of college esports is, both on the competitive as well as on the academic side? You know, that's kind of a hot topic these days, it really seems like. And I think that it has so many different avenues of what the future looks like. Um, the thing that I find the most fascinating and that I think most folks should really be paying attention to to see how this works. But, you know, Maryville University had a full team qualify for the NACL. Um, a full collegiate team that they then brought through true to the amateur track. And so they're at the competitive track, honestly. And so to essentially say the path to pro, there's been individuals. They're the first ones that have really done the, Hey, this team can compete against these pros. And at no point do you have like Alabama's football team play against the Miami dolphins. That's not a thing that exists and it's happening in esports, And that's, really cool and really crazy and really exciting to see. Um, The world in scholarships, I think, is really an interesting place to to kind of see come to fruition. There's a lot of folks that are really leveraging their competitive prowess, their competitive experience, either after they've competed pro or as they're leading up to it, to get free education. And that any education that we can spread through this world is better, you know, and, and having that in that space is good. But I really see, honestly, the collegiate space kind of taking the front line for esports, especially in the next couple of years, as so many other things are really um, kind of in a reset mode or in a reset mind. Um, you know, we had a bit of an economic downturn, obviously, and we've had, unfortunately, a significant amount of layoffs, but I think a lot of those groups are going to be starting to rebuild. And in that time, I think collegiate is really going to take the lead. And I think it's going to become an avenue for students to really continue and get that education, to get that education at a scholarship um, amount, which is awesome. And it's going to elevate and amplify competition. I think that we're going to start seeing that these grand championship events that are these in-person land events and these in-person championship events are going to start mirroring what you see for traditional collegiate sports. And that's going to be exciting for me. Right. That this bowl games is going to be the collegiate rocket yeah. league championship. I it's think so. I really game. do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm all for it. You know, I keep saying that the, the Ohio state, Michigan legal legends tailgate is going to be like football. So yeah. 
I don't know when that's going to be, but I know it will be. It's fun. We do. Um, we have UCF uh, down the road from us. We are you know, we are on University Boulevard, and we're on one side of it with UCF on the other side. Um, UCF is like the largest or second largest university in the country now, and we every time we play them in any sort of league, we have them on campus, and we play Battle for the Boulevard, meaning we're playing for University Boulevard. And in no point in time should Full Sail compete against UCF, who's a D one top program powerhouse, but we do in esports and it's fun. And all the students come out and they get together and they talk smack and they have fandom and they are supporting it. And it kind of brings a sense of community to what we're doing to be able to do that at a larger level is always going to continue to be exciting. Amazing. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, Why don't you tell everybody where they can see what you guys are working on at full sale and connect with you. Sure. Um, follow us on all of our social channels at Full Sail Armada. Um, we are everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, or whatever it's called now. X. Um, TikTok. Uh, shout out to Shay Ryan, who's our ultimate uh, social media maven, and she's got amazing content that's kind of coming in there. We're Full Sail Armada on Twitch. Our stream team is part of our varsity program, and they're streaming there pretty regularly. They're awesome to see when we're in between matches. Um, so we've got stuff going during the day and in through the evening. Um, and then I'm Sari Kaitlin on anything. I think I'm the only one of me that exists. So if you type in my name, you're going to find me. Uh, and would love to hear from anybody or any questions or anything anybody needs at all. Please reach out anytime. Amazing. So thank you so much for joining us again. For everybody for tuning in. Make sure you check what they're doing at Full Sail. They're definitely onto some really innovative stuff. And make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q. Check Apple Podcasts for past audio and YouTube for all our past video. Awesome.